Church Project. My name is Weston Kurz. I'm the uh, person that's preaching to you today. I'm also the executive director here at Dayspring Christian Academy, where I've been for the last six years. I really appreciated uh, Carl's Imago because as a former banker, that's right, that little vault is not nearly as big and doesn't have nearly as much cash as you think it does. So uh, get that message out there to those guys that think there might be some cash in there. Anyways, um, it's really a, a pleasure and honor to come and be able to speak to you today. Um, it's just a pleasure to get up here. Some of you know from my background in history that my grandfather, uh, Vernon Kurtz, was a minister in the United Church of Christ for many years in the 60s and 70s, and uh, probably a little bit before that back in Kansas. And uh, it's always just, uh, just from a family history standpoint, interesting to think that I'd get the opportunity from time to time to come up here and preach. And uh, it's just a real honor. One of the blessings of being able to come up here is that you get to prepare and study what you're going to be talking about. Um, and uh, this topic that we're going to be talking about today, communion, um, is really interesting. It's, um, it's been a source of lots of controversy in the church over thousands of years. And um, today we're going to learn a little bit about it, uh, maybe why it's controversial. But ultimately, as I've titled this message, uh, I title it really it's the greatest love story ever told because I think to me um, it's just a reminder, inflection of Christ's love for us, God's love for us, the Holy Spirit's love for us as he would choose to come back to earth and redeem us. And so we'll, t- we'll touch on that a little bit more. I'm going to be kind of going back and forth between my notes um, I'm not as techy. I, I thought, well, maybe this is the time I'm going to have the computer up here and all that stuff. But I just freaked out and said, no, I got to know that I can touch and feel and see what I'm looking at. So uh, bear with me as I'll, some of it I'll be reading directly word for word. Others I'm going to be just going as what comes to my mind. But before we get started, I just want to take a time of prayer um, and then kind of go from there. Father, uh, we just come before you right now, and I thank you for this opportunity that I have to preach uh, your word. And Lord, may this word be from you and not from me. May uh, whatever be not true, would it just fall on on deaf ears. And Lord, whatever may be true and of your word, may it sink deep into our hearts and our flesh and our marrow as your word does. And so, Father, I just ask that you would bless this time. Uh, Would you give me the strength and clarity to... uh, get through the message. And Lord, would you just in the end, when we come back and pray again, that would you just uh, continue to be with us as we celebrate who you are and what you've done for us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Yes, amen. Um, So as most of you know, I've been serving communion um, for the past year and a half. And during the time, the thought came to my mind, when have I ever heard a message on communion as I was sitting out with you? And I don't know, maybe just by a show of hands, has anyone ever heard just kind of a full message dedicated to communion in their, in their Christian walk? Anyone raise their hand? A couple? A few? I'd say maybe a third or a fourth of you have heard that. Um, obviously, when you come to certain times, um, uh, when we do communion at church here, um, or uh, in other traditions, you may have you know, seen this the pastor or the priest come up and talk about what communion is and that sort of thing. But um, I'd never really had a full message preached on what communion is. And so um, as I talked to Aaron, I said, hey, next time you need someone to stand in and preach, I'd like to preach on communion. And um, just let me know when that would be. Well, it happens to be today, and we're going to celebrate it today. As, but as we'll talk about, we normally do this here at Church Project 
on the first Sunday of the month. Um, and there's nothing special about that, just kind of when we've set it up for the routine. So once a month on the first Sunday. So we're on the last Sunday this month, and I won't be here next week, so we're going to kill two birds with one stone. So uh, this sacrament may be the most important one, according to many, but have we really studied to, be, to try to truly understand what we are doing? A few years ago, I was reading a devotional book called The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. And uh, this is a book written by uh, a priest in around 1418, I believe. And uh, it's one of the most well-known, well-read books um, in history, uh, actually. You know, think about 1418, that gives you a lot of times, you know, to get it read from that time to now. But uh, it just, it's more of a meditation and devotion from uh, the notes of a, of a priest. And in the end, I'll talk a little bit about that. But as I read this book a number of years ago, a friend had given it to me. It was, it was like, oh, there's maybe a little more to this communion stuff than I'm thinking about. Um, there's also, I, I talked a little bit about my grandpa. Uh, one of the things that was really cool, um, he's gone home, gone home to be with the Lord. And uh, my dad, when he was moving to Florida last year, um, he gave me some of my grandfather's things. And one of the things, and you guys can kind of see up here, is this little... I'm gonna, I don't even know what this technical called. There's probably a word exactly for this, but I'm going to call it the little communion, traveling communion kit. Um, but in here, uh, there's these little glasses that have like, like have a little gold thing on the top of them. There's, um, you know, this could be, I remember someone was joking with me about this, but this is for um, the wine or, or the juice. And then this little part right here it can be for the wafer um, and the body of Christ. And so I thought this was kind of cool. As I thought about this, and if you if you're not close enough to see, there's like, you know, there's been stained, you know, this is, there's been spills in here and that sort of thing. But I thought about, you know, the importance of this to somebody that my grandfather might have had to take this to in a hospital bed. Um, or maybe they're about ready to die. Um, and this is their last communion um, and something like that. So I'm sure this, this thing has traveled to many hospitals and many deathbeds over the years. Um, and it's just, again, a symbolic reference of what we celebrate here as believers, and it's an important thing that we get to do and have the opportunity to do as followers of Christ. A couple things before I, I really dive in um, that, I, that I learned. You've heard the term, you know, three different terms. You hear communion, you hear Eucharist, and you hear the Lord's Supper. And the term Eucharist, I thought was just kind of a Catholic term that meant, you know, the way the Catholics celebrate um, communion. And it turns out Eucharist is a ecumenical term that's used in all faiths, and it just simply means thanksgiving. Uh, we are coming to be thankful for what God and what Jesus has done for us. Uh, communion, as I've read through this and studied and prayed about on this over the, over the, the past few weeks, um, is not meant to be a divisive thing at all. It's, most, it's meant to be a unifying thing where we come together and we get to be part of the body of Christ at large. And, and with Christ and with the, with the people that love Christ. And so that's, it's not meant to be a divisive thing. So that's one thing I really want you to hear today. The other thing is it's a reminder of Christ's love for us. And that's what we're celebrating. And then ultimately, if you study this, and I, I encourage you to dig into this throughout the week and beyond, um, you will hear the terms or words mystery come up almost throughout all the different faith backgrounds that study this, and the word mystical. And so um, by no means am I going to shed a perfect light on this for you today or even come up, and I say it at the end, with a, 
you know, definitive way of what this is really that we're doing. But these are some ideas and things that have come about. So my purpose today, and I hope what you get out of today's message, is that I clearly articulate how celebrating the Lord's Supper is a reminder of the gospel, which leads to thanksgiving. I want to explain the purposes of communion, and I'd like to show some of the various ways and interpretations of the different faiths and how they celebrate it. Uh, as, I, as I've prepared again for this, I've asked lots of different people to, how do you celebrate communion? How do you celebrate this? So um, my former boss at First Bank, uh, Pat, he's a Catholic, and him and I have had many great conversations about the faith over the years. And um, I'd asked him about what, how does this work in the Catholic faith? Um, I asked someone that's a Seventh-day Adventist, how do you guys celebrate communion? Something interesting there that I learned from them is that they usually do foot washing when they celebrate communion as the Lord washed the feet of the disciples before the Last Supper. I thought that was interesting. Uh, happened at a closing this week. I, I met a person that celebrates, um, is part of the Orthodox faith over in Loveland. And the way that they, I talked about this message and it was really interesting to talk about what, how, how she and her, her faith does it. So as I've thought about it, again, it's like anything you start focusing on and thinking about, or I'm in being intentional asking about it, you learn more about what you're thinking about. And so it's, it's really fascinating. Just in, again, two or three weeks, I can talk to a lot of different people with different faith backgrounds and find out what they think about communion. But ultimately, today is not about declaring the perfect way, like I've said, or to divine it for all ages. It's really to be about a celebration of thanksgiving of who Jesus is to us. Here at Church Project, our goals are to be biblical, simple, and relevant. Uh, they're three of our core values. I'm pretty confident um, that I can get on at least two of the three, biblical and relevant. The simple part may not quite get there today, so I apologize for that. But I'm going to pray in the Holy Spirit. He needs to help us get to that point. Um, a lot of what I'm going to present is from a Church Project paper written, by, written on communion by uh, Trace Howard. And when I was talking to Aaron, he sent me this. I'd ask him, okay, what's Church Project's uh, philosophy on this? Um, and he said, he sent me a paper on baptism and communion. And hopefully maybe we can get that up on the U version of the Bible app. Um, but uh, this Trace Howard, Aaron called him as Church Project's resident Paul. Uh, a very intelligent, biblical, spiritual person that loves Jesus that can literally preach from the Greek. So a lot of, a lot of this is, is from him and uh, from there. So if you, would, if you have your Bibles with you, um, you can open up to the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 17 through 33. If you have your phone in the Bible app, you can go to version. Aaron's mentioned that. Um, you have to kind of click on, uh, make sure your privacy settings are open to show your location. Click on events in the version. And there'll be these verses up there as well. There's also some other references on the U version for you in house church this week. So I encourage you when you go to meet uh, in house church, um, you'll have some of those resources there. But um, I believe it's on, if you have a Bible, if you want to have one of the Bibles here from church today, it's on page 1782, this, these verses. So this is going to be kind of the basis of the message today. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, Paul says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more, than, more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that you've come together as a church. There are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have, been, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. 
So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this manner. Let's stop there for a second. Um, Paul talking to the early church, and in the early church, uh, just for context, they would get together and they would celebrate this meal as a, we're going to call it modern day potluck. And they're celebrating the Passover meal and they're getting together and, and, and doing this. So you can imagine a whole community coming together. And in this specific part, I think Paul's talking about the socioeconomic status of people. There's people that have a lot, there's people that have a little, just like today. And when they're coming together, those that have a lot are kind of sitting over here in this crowd doing their little thing. And it's, you know, they're do- and then these other people over here they have nothing and they're not being able to celebrate it. So that was obviously divisive and offensive to uh, the people that were there. And Paul's rebuking them, saying, hey, Corinthians, no, we're coming together as one body. So when we celebrate this as followers of Christ, all of us coming together in this room, celebrating it as one body of followers in Christ. And we'll talk about maybe reasons why you don't want to celebrate it if, if you don't haven't accepted Jesus in your, in your life and as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe you're here today and you're not of a, a faith background that aligns with this and you don't, maybe you don't want to be offensive. Or, as we'll talk about in a little bit, um, maybe your heart's not quite right today. Maybe you've got some challenges in your life you want to get right before the Lord. So we'll talk about that a little bit more. So continuing on in verse 23, Paul said, or this is Paul reflecting on what Jesus said. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the, whole, against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. That is the word from Paul. And so um, there's parts of this that are, as I go through, are going to be touched on directly, and other parts we're not going to do a lot with. Um, But I do think, and I just want to emphasize this because I don't think I'll have it later in my notes, but this examining part um, is super important. I think sometimes we can look over that as well and, and maybe not take it so seriously. But verse 30, where it says, that is why many of you who are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep, which in other translations, this is the NIV, means you died. You took this in an unworthy manner and you died. You took this in an unworthy manner and you've been sick. Um, Aaron may not want me to share this message, but he's not here, and I get the opportunity to do this, so sorry, Aaron. My apologies in advance. Um, But 
Aaron was, jo- this is, by the way, a complete joke, so there's nothing, you know, this part might be the part that the Holy Spirit doesn't want you to hear, but um, uh, he, we talk about taking it in an unworthy manner, and uh, when we were preparing, walking over the message, he had gone uh, to church with some friends from Dayspring that go to a Catholic church, and uh, I don't know how many of you come from a Catholic background in the past um, and know how, what that really looks like and what you do. Well, if you, if you are a Protestant in a Catholic church and you've not been confirmed in the Catholic Church as being Catholic, you are really not supposed to go up and take communion. You're supposed to go up and ask for a blessing. You put your hands like this, and you, get, you can get a blessing. Or you can just not go up at all. That's kind of what you're supposed to do. And for those of you that may have Catholic faith, my apologies if I messed that up a little bit. So Aaron, you know, ended up going up with one of these things, and didn't, didn't, he didn't do this. So he told me he got the flu, like got sick the next you know, day after. So that could have been a little example of an unworthy manner. I'm making, <clears throat> I'm making light of it, but I don't know. You know, this is, again, the mystery. So, uh, sorry, Aaron, again, I didn't mean to put that out there. <laughs> Jeremy can erase that part if he doesn't like it. Um, anyways, I, I do think when I read that, and I've, again, I, I've had to have an advantage. I've been doing this for about 18 months where I've been doing this, preparing every month for you guys when we come up here and talk about this. And I asked the Lord, Lord, are you going to share with me so I can share with you in this brief time I normally do, do communion? But that one part right there really sticks out to me as an unworthy manner. What does that mean? I mean, why would Paul put these words in there if it wasn't serious um, and something for us to do? So uh, I'm probably overemphasizing that point a little bit, but I don't want any of us to, you know, become sick or die because of that part. So um, I'm going on to the purposes of the Lord's Supper. I have, I have five, six different purposes written down here. And again, most of this is coming from the church project uh, from Trace. Number one, act of remembrance. The Greek word translated remembrance in Luke twenty two nineteen and in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four through 25 is anamnesis. It's a, it is significant. It means more than merely mental recall like one would remember their street address, phone number, or anniversary. The word is more dynamic, even nostalgic, than this. The idea is that the participant finds him or herself carried back to the foot of the cross to experience in a vivid way what is meant when Jesus gave his body and blood for the sins of the world, generally, and for him or her specifically. At Church Project, we believe that when we partake of the elements of the bread and the wine, we, or juice, we enter into the extraordinary experience of worship. The Holy Spirit uses these visual elements that we can hold in our hand and then eat and drink to help us almost nostalgically reenact in our mind the crucifixion of Jesus and vividly brings to our heart and mind the theological significance of the sufferings of Jesus' experience on our behalf. Accordingly, not only is the Lord's Supper a corporate act of worship and celebration, it is also deeply personal as we draw closer to the Lord through this amazing experience of remembrance. So an act of remembrance, and we talk about that a lot, you know, we're to remember what Christ has done for us. The, other th- the next thing is the celebration of the new covenant, and this is found in Jer- Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. So go back to Old Testament times. Uh, Jeremiah says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. 
No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. This is a um, profession of Christ's coming and establishing the new covenant. Uh, the old covenant is all the laws of the Old Testament. Um, and right now I'm reading through the Bible and I'm in Leviticus. And those of you that have been in Leviticus, there's more laws and more regulations and more to-dos than any man or woman could ever accomplish. And there's even like laws for messing up the laws that you're supposed to do and the way you're supposed to you know, sacrificially give some, something or someone um, to overcome those. And so this is great news for the body of Christ this new covenant. It's super important. And so we are past the old covenant ways and we're in the new covenant world and this is what the, the Passover or what the uh, communion reflects. Number three, it reflects the oneness of the community of believers. We've talked about this a little bit. When we observe the Lord's Supper, we not only vividly, vividly remember the communion we share with Jesus through his death, but we also celebrate the communion we have with one another as part of the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 10, 16 through 17, so just a little bit before this, the reading we did, Paul states, It is not the cup of the blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ. It is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So that's another thing. The next thing is can, this can, communion can reflect the sustenance that only Jesus can provide. And this is something you guys can dig into this week in house church or on your own. It comes from John chapter 6. Jesus talks about the bread of life. I would encourage you to read and meditate on these words this week. It talks about how God supplied manna for the Israelites and how he has now provided Jesus for our spiritual sustenance. There's probably weeks of messages that can be done on just that whole John chapter 6. There's a lot of stuff in there that's really challenging to work through. So... I'll let you guys work through that on your own. The next one is warns us not to take communion in an unworthy manner. We've talked about that. Uh, this can be, when we, when we have this, and there's lots of different parts to this, and honestly, I didn't completely flesh this out. Um, so you, you're going to need to do that. But I think of it as a time of personal self-reflection, maybe for personal sin. Um, in some traditions, there was a process that you would either go um, and meet with a priest or you're going to confess your sins to others. Um, when we do it here, I try to give you guys a time where you can just take a moment and reflect if there's anything or unforgiveness, um, whatever else you need to do, you, you have a time to reflect before the Lord. Um, one thing I was thinking about this week in terms of not taking it in an unworthy manner, if, if, you're not, if you're not right, if you don't feel like this is a time to commune with the Lord, it's okay not to take communion as a believer. You don't have to do it when these elements go by. There's no requirement that says you must. You may not be able to take it today. That's okay. Um, um, today at the end of service, and I, I, I'd ask to, that um, Ginger and Jeff, who um, are kind of our prayer team and warriors, and there's other prayer team warriors in here, but if uh, Ginger and Jeff would kind of go to the back, and if, if you feel like during this time of communion, um, after we've passed the elements and stuff like that, and, and we've taken it, that you need some prayer afterwards, um, they can be back there and, and pray for you and maybe talk to, some, talk to you about something. Um, in terms of taking an unworthy matter, this can be a reminder not to take if you don't believe what it represents. Um, so this can be a reminder not to take the elements if you don't believe what it represents. So uh, 
First one would be for someone that has not accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. A, a seeker, maybe there's a seeker here that hasn't accepted the Lord. I, I'm going to talk about the gospel, and maybe today's the day that your eternity will change for forever. But as a non-believer, um, taking the elements, really there's no, there's no uh, meaning for you. And you're, not, you're not acknowledging what this represents, and so that's why you wouldn't take it. Another example would be the one I, I kind of made light of with Aaron. And it's not good to take this in a way that may offend another faith tradition. Um, if you are at a Catholic service and you don't believe that it really is the actual body and blood of Christ, um, as they believe, the literal body, body and blood of Christ, then you should not probably take that communion because you don't believe that and you'll offend your brother or sister uh, that may be a follower of Christ there. And so that would be a reason not to take it there. Um, and then again, the other, the other division here was that um, Paul, might have, Paul may have been speaking specifically about the Corinthian church and the socioeconomic and the people that were getting, having plenty and those that had not. And it's not good for us to have those divisions when we come in this body together here at Church Project. And so if there's divisions amongst us, maybe we should have those reconciled before we take communion. Those are some of those warnings uh, why not to take communion in an unworthy manner. Number, the next one, anticipation of the future return of Jesus. This is kind of one of the last parts of this. And I think this, is, this one, again, I think sometimes we gloss over this a little bit. Uh, as we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus by taking the bread and drinking the cup, we live in eager anticipation that Jesus, Jesus could come back at any time. Let me say that again. As we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus by taking the bread and drinking the cup, we live in eager anticipation that Jesus could come back at any time. Let me just ask you, how many people, before I said that today, have thought that Jesus might come back today? And are we thinking about him coming back in eager anticipation that today maybe is the day he's going to come back? But that's what this last part of, this, of communion is about. This future emphasis of the supper is highlighted by Jesus himself when he reminds his disciples that he would not drink the fruit of the vine with them again until the kingdom of God arrived. And this is in the Gospels, Matthew 26, 29, Mark 14, 25. Luke twenty two eighteen. Clearly, when we observe the Lord's Supper, we look to the future at which times Jesus will come for his bride, the church, to establish his reign forever. I think that's so exciting, and I'm going to talk about the four cups here in a minute, but um, we've had this chance to, to repent um, and think about, examine ourselves. We get to remember what Christ has done for us on the cross, and then we can look forward to this time when Jesus is coming back again and he will make all things new and the final restoration will happen. So the next little sub, subsection I titled How We Celebrate This at Church Project. And this is from Trace reading this. Uh, the Lord's Supper, what some also call communion, is perhaps the highest form of worship in which the believer can participate. So this thing is a very high form of worship. At Church Project, the celebration of the Lord's Supper is open to any person who has trusted in the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus, namely the gospel. This act of worship reenacts the event that occurred on the very night in which Jesus was betrayed, at which time he shared his last supper, likely the Passover meal with his disciples. While gathered together in the upper room, Jesus took bread and wine and shared these with his disciples and asked them to eat and drink. Like I mentioned earlier, our form here at, at Church Project is we do this monthly, typically the first Sunday of the month, but we don't always do that, of course. Uh, we've, we've changed it even from my, the time that I've uh, been part of Church Project. 
sometimes we'll have a separate little table and we'll have a cup and bread and everyone drinks out of the, of the same cup. Um, we've been, again, gone to this, this new method um, of passing out the elements to each of you. And we've done that for quite some time now. So one other thing to mention, um, you know, for us, we don't actually use wine. We use grape juice. And we actually use, I believe it's unleavened. I'd have to be technically correct. But they're rice crackers that have no gluten in them. So they're gluten-free, unleavened. There was no gluten-free in the Old Testament, by the way, just to be clear. Um, but one thing is, is so important right here, and this is that, that section I titled Our Form. Like this, is how we, this is our form. This is how we do it, right? It, it, honestly, it, we can't get hung up on how we actually do it. I've been part of a whole meal communion here um, when we were part of the church at Dayspring, which became Jacob's Well, which merged with Church Project. I remember when, you, when there was only like, you know, the first three rows here and, and me and my wife, and that was it, and similar to Church Project, we had a full meal. You know, it was pretty easy to pull that, pull that off. We started the, the day, you know, you know, Jack and Patricia loved the potluck, and, and we had a great time. We can't, it's not necessarily convenient to do that. But you could, by the way, celebrate a communion Passover supper, a cedar meal. There's churches that do it here in town. Um, I know Waypoints has a really cool cedar meal when they do it during that time, which is really interesting to go be part of. Um, you could do this with a, some of your friends at your own house and celebrate in the traditional way. There's plenty of resources to look at. So let's don't get hung up on the form exactly how we're doing it. I'll talk about how some other faith traditions do it, but let's don't get hung up on that part. Let's go on the function, on those purposes of what this really is and what we're really doing. I think that's so important. Um, who is this for? I talked about it's for followers of Christ. Um, in some cases, after one is confirmed. So in different faith backgrounds, you can take this at certain different points of time as we go into this kind of section of what other churches um, and other faith backgrounds do. In Catholic churches, it's only for those who press, profess the Catholic faith, faith as I mentioned. Um, sometimes it's for people that have gone through confirmation. In other um, instances, you've had to be baptized um, in order to take communion. Again, I explained that for Church Project, it's simply you've accepted the gospel and uh, you know what the gospel is and what Jesus has done for you. Um, how does communion reflect the gospel? Well, in the Old Testament, as I mentioned, bloodshedding sacrifices were required for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus represents that blood sacrifice for all the sins of the world when he died. His body was broken for us as an act of love, John 3, 16. We recognize that we need a savior because we could never be good enough to earn our way to heaven. So Jesus portrays in his death and resurrection what he promised beforehand, and he talks about when he will come back again. And it's an opportunity for us to repent and believe. And so, um, again, one of the central parts of today's message is the gospel. What it is, why it matters, why we should celebrate what Jesus has done for us. Right, so keep that in mind as we get to the end of this. So how other traditions celebrate this and what they believe. So one thing, again, misconception in my mind that I had before I started studying this was I was thinking, okay, you know, really this communion thing became a really big deal when um, Martin Luther wrote his 95 theses and separated from the Catholic Church and all that sort of stuff. So Protestantism 
Catholicism, that was kind of why this thing came up. And that, that actually is not necessarily true because Lutherans um, and Martin Luther himself, there's a, there's a resource that's tied in your U version. You can read about this. Um, Luther still believed that the body and blood of Christ actually was there. And so that wasn't a, the defining split of the church. That was one thing. He was, Luther was specifically upset that only the priests were taking communion and the common people, just like, you know, the word was in Latin and not being dispersed to the common people. He was, he was concerned that the priests were holding this closely to themselves and not sharing it with the body of Christ. That was one of his big complaints. But it wasn't, wasn't the, bro, the, the reason for the break, per se. But Lutherans today believe that Christ really is, is present. One of the actions they take, you actually typically come forward and kneel to take um, the communion at a Lutheran church. And again, there's lots of different forms of that. Catholics, again, I explained what that looked like to either as well. They use the term, and this is a, a term that I can barely pronounce, transubstantiation, which all that means is they really believe that literally at the point of the blessing, or maybe even before, that it literally is the body and blood of Jesus Christ at that moment. It physically becomes that. Um, Anglican, Anglican Church, um, has a similar view as what Lutherans do, and I guess I should clarify that. Um, they believe in consubstantiation, which means Christ is present, and they'll say stuff that he's above, he's alongside, and he's below the Eucharist at that point in time. So he really comes and is part of that, but he doesn't become the body and blood of Christ. So that would be the Lutheran and Anglican view. The Orthodox view, which was a split from the church in the, in the, just after the 1050s, um, also believe that it's the actual body and blood of Christ at that moment too. So that's just a little bit of history of that. One of the things I found, um, a quote from the Orthodox church, and I think this, like for me personally, I really resonated with this. Um, so listen to this quote and um, see if it means anything to you. The mystery of the Holy Eucharist defies analysis and explanation in purely rational and logical terms. For the Eucharist and Christ himself is indeed a mystery of the kingdom of heaven, which, as Jesus has told us, is not of this world. The Eucharist, because it belongs to God's kingdom, is truly free from the earth-born logic of fallen humanity. That's a quote, again, from the Orthodox viewpoint. So what that means to me is, again, in this mystery, mystical thing, um, I personally don't know exactly all that's happening here. I do believe Christ is with us. I believe the Holy Spirit's guiding. I do believe that we're remembering this. Um, but it's, it's something very special at the end of the day, and it reflects God's love for us, and we are to remember it in that way. And so those would be the main things that I, I would point to. In your study... Um, of this on your own or in house church this week. Uh, there's some other verses for you to check out um, as you study communion. All the way back to Genesis 22, where Abraham sacrifice, uh, prepares to sacrifice Isaac. In Exodus 6, um, 6 through 7, and by the way, these are in the notes on that version app. Uh, there talks about the four cups or the four chalices, and I'll talk a little bit more about that just in a second. Exodus 12 is really the Passover meal, um, talking about the Israelites leaving uh, Egypt of what all happened uh, during that Passover time. Jeremiah 31, as I read earlier, I referenced John 6, uh, 22 through 71, is the Jesus, the bread of life. Um, very challenging reading um, is that. And then finally, this uh, Revelation 19, 6 through 10, talks about the wedding supper of the Lamb, when all things are uh, made new again. 
So just something interesting that I wanted to point out that were in my notes, I didn't know quite how to fit it into the message, was this um, idea of the, four, of the cups. Uh, this meal um, in the typical Passover cedar meal is uh, built around four different cups. And so during the meal, there's times that you're going to drink four different glasses of wine, or at least a drink of the wine. And so um, this is referenced in Exodus 6, 6 through 7. And um, the first cup is a re- reminder of the cup of, it's called the cup of sanctification. And it references, I will bring you out of Egypt. The next cup is the cup of deliverance. I will deliver you from slavery. The third cup, this is the cup of redemption. I will redeem you with my power. It's believed that this is the cup that Jesus is taking at the moment he shares this in his word. And what is so cool about that is that God, when he died for us, when Jesus died for us, he redeemed. He redeemed us. That is the redemption. So that's cool. Now, the cup of restoration, I will take you as my people. So if you follow a traditional uh, meta-narrative of the Bible, we have creation, we have the fall, we have redemption in Christ, and we have restoration. These three things have happened so far. The fourth restoration has not yet came. The fourth cup that Christ talks about here will be drinking when he has the, it's called the marriage supper of the lamb with us at the end of time. And that's the Revelation 19, verses six through 10. So just a little history there for you on how that all kind of comes together. Again, God's word is so amazing. The symbolism is in it and how it all kind of comes together um, is just really fascinating. From beginning, literally, in the Bible to the end in Revelations, it all is tying back together. But ultimately, it all is about Jesus Christ, whether we are looking forward to him, if we were pre-Jesus, and now we have the new covenant, and now we're looking for his return again when he comes back, and we're going to celebrate in this final supper. There's some other resources that are on, on uh, tied into the U version. if you want. It, it, this is not hard to do. Google Eucharist. Google these other things. Dig around. Study your word. Um, and do those sorts of things, and you'll find, um, you'll find some really interesting, interesting things. So at this time, um, I'm going to invite the, the communion servers to come up, and if we could uh, have the, the worship team come up as well and to turn out the lights. Um, we're going to get a chance to celebrate communion together now as a body of Christ. So now that we've learned a little bit about the Eucharist, uh, we're going to celebrate it together. Again, this is for people that have put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, have examined themselves for sin and unity, and want to honor, remember, and celebrate what Jesus has done for us in his living, perfect life, in living a perfect life. Going to the cross as payment for our sins, conquering death on the third day, and when he rose from the dead, and in our future hope of his return in the second coming. Read, as these guys are, go ahead and pass it out. Um, just go ahead and pass the tray as it comes by you. I'm going to grab some here myself. I'm going to read um, from Thomas Akempis. This is um, one of his meditations called That the Devout Soul Ought with the Whole Heart to Seek Union with Christ in the Sacrament. This I beg, this I long for, that I may be wholly united unto thee, 
and I may withdraw my heart from all created things and by means of sacred communion and the frequent celebrating thereof may learn more and more to relish things heavenly and eternal. Ah, Lord, when shall I be wholly made one with thee and lost in thee and become altogether forgetful of myself, thou in me and I in thee? So also grant that we may both continue together in one. Verily thou art my beloved, the choicest amongst thousands, in whom my soul is well pleased to dwell all the days of her life. Verily thou art my peacemaker, in whom is the highest peace and true rest, out of whom is labor and sorrow and infinite misery. Verily thou art a God that hidest thyself, and thy counsel is not with the wicked, but with the humble and the simple is thy speech. Join me in prayer. Father God, we come before you right now, and uh, Lord, we thank you for being with us. We thank you for loving us. Thank you for your sacrifice for us. Lord, we never can repay this. It's something that uh, is, is amazing that you would share your life and shed your blood for us. And because of this, we can be one with you. We can be one with the body of believers throughout, not just today, but eternity past and eternity future. So Father, right now in just this moment, we're gonna take a moment of silence or so and, and just examine ourselves before you. And um, Lord, if there's something right now even that is not right in our walk, or something we need to confess, Lord, may we do it right now for you. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your body and blood that were shed for us. Thank you that you are coming back again to make things right, to the final restoration of all of humanity, just like it was in the beginning. Lord, we thank you for those that have come before us. Specifically right now, I'm thinking of, of Reverend Billy Graham, who lived a life and now is with you, and we can celebrate that hope not just for him, but for all the people that he's preached to over the years, the millions and millions of people that heard the gospel message through crusades and one-on-one -on -one conversations. Lord, we may you make us each an evangelist this week in this, in this time, that we may share the love of Christ that we're celebrating today with others who do not know you. And Father, right now, there may be one or two people or more in this room that have never accepted you as their Lord and Savior. I pray that they may do that right now, that they would accept the free gift that is your son, Jesus Christ, and that they may love the opportunity that they have to become one in the kingdom of God with you because of your sacrifice. Lord, I pray that they would just say, Lord, I believe that you are the son of God. I'm a sinner. I can't get there without you. I need you. I believe in you. Come into my life. Make me new again. That's it, Lord. It just takes a simple act of receiving your grace and love and believing that. So Father, as, as we are about ready to take of the body and blood, may this just be an honoring time to you. May we take it in a worthy manner that remembers your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So I'm going to read from Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29. And this is Jesus' words. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, and remember it's me. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave, gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the days when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And take the cup. Like I said, if you need prayer, there's some, some people in the back that would love to pray for you. Thank you for coming to Church Project today. Jesus loves you.